0: Secret to healthcare disruption? It's you. It's you. Are you ready to join hosts Jerry Durham and Andrew Rothschild in breaking down the healthcare status quo and creating a customer-focused experience? It starts with you. Time to
1: break it.
0: Let's go. Recording from just outside our nation's capital, where a true disruption unfortunately rarely takes place. This is the Healthcare Disruption Podcast with Jerry Durham. I'm Andrew Rothschild. You can find me on Twitter at, at a Rothschild PT. With me, of course, is Jerry. You can also find him occasionally active on Twitter at, at Jerry underscore Durham PT. I say that facetiously, of course, because during a San Francisco Giants game, his Twitter feed will give you a better feel for the game than the box score. For those of you who are are familiar with uh, business baseball and bourbon, this is a reboot. For the Matrix fans out there, we are the neo to the former Mr. Anderson. But do not despair. As many of you may know, any conversation with Jerry eventually winds its way around to business baseball and bourbon, and this one will not disappoint but for our inaugural episode, I wanted to do something a little different. As Simon Sinek states multiple times and Start With Why, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Businesses need to know and effectively convey their why to the customer. And as healthcare practitioners, we need to know our patients' and customers' whys in order to help them achieve the best outcome possible. Jerry has been an outspoken figure in PT and healthcare for a number of years. He's not only the co owner of, of a successful multi site private practice, San Francisco Sport and Spine, but he also lectures extensively on his customer life cycle, which we will dive into few further in future episodes. He's also an advisor to several healthcare innovation companies as well. While much of the PT world is too often entrenched in treatment philosophy and technique dogma, Jerry has been an unrelenting advocate for increasing focus on the patient customer as the key to successful care. Just this past year, he brought the first ever patient panel to CSM. So I want to know Jerry's why. What was his impetus for getting into private practice? And why so much emphasis on the patient as the driver for healthcare disruption? So without further ado, here's Jerry. So Jerry, welcome to your own show. And before we get a little bit more into your story, you were involved in something unique this past week. Can you
1: tell us a little bit more about it? Howdy, Andrew. Uh, Thanks for having me on my show. Um, Yeah, so this past week, before we dive into some of that other content, this past week I was in Las Vegas um, for purely business, um, which could be attested to the fact that I was up two of those days at 5 a.m. to work out in the gym. To be noted, I wasn't up from the night before at five a.m. I woke up at five a.m. So that that is the true sign of business in Vegas. I attended what is called the uh, National Call Center Conference, which may sound a little awkward to some people in healthcare. But what I'm looking to do is create this <clears throat> this center. Or place where a customer can call in aka a patient and be fitted to the right provider for them because ultimately that's what your business wants and that's what's going to create a relationship that will lead to great results and in our case great outcomes and a happy patient so that's where I was this weekend and that will continue to move forward so let's, uh, let's now take a 180 degree turn or maybe a 360 degree turn and talk about how I started out and get to my why, you know, it's, it's fun sharing this story. Cause the more I share it, the more people tell me, um, the tidbits they enjoy, but, Basically, I got out of school what seems like forever ago, maybe 25 years ago now. And, yeah, I went straight into acute care, and I got out of school not wanting to do outpatient because I didn't feel like I was going to be the right person for that patient sitting across from me. And so I went into acute care because I knew I could learn medicine, shall we say, and learn more about what goes into um, a person from the healthcare standpoint. So, I mean, we can just fast forward through all that and I'll give you the highlights of what occurred. And what occurred was I had a lot of bosses I didn't like, go figure. And so my wife uh, was very patient with me and she, I'd come home and complain about my boss and tell her how things should be different. And she'd smile and nod and go, okay, Jerry. Then about five years in, I would tell her I'm done with this. I'm getting a new job. And she'd go, okay, if that's right for you and everything. And I'd say, yeah, I've researched everything. I'm getting a new job. So then I'd get a new job and she was patient with me as I'd come home and complain about yet my new boss. And about three years in, I told her, I'm tired of this. I'm getting a new job because I know how to do this better. And she'd smile and nod and say, are you sure that's what you want? And I'd say, yeah. And she'd go, great, get a new job. Three years passed. (laughs) You guys are starting to see a trend here. Uh, Three years passed, and again, went to her, said, I'm not happy. My boss is wrong. I'm right. I got better ways of doing this. I'm getting a new job. And there was this occurrence. I can't tell you the exact date or time, but I remember the exact um, what was said. And I looked at my wife, and I said, Karen, my God, you know, again, my bosses suck. And she looked at me very patiently and she waited till I finished and she said Jerry I said yes she goes there's only been one constant at every job that you've worked in since you got out of physical therapy school and I looked back at her and I said well what is that well, what's that constant she goes you and um at that moment in time a light bulb went off and needless to say I felt very uncomfortable because I didn't want to be pointed out as the problem and um it was very interesting she said you're you've been the constant in there and you need to start your own business because you have ideas how to do stuff um, differently. And I said, there's no way I'm starting my own business. But I took, not but, I said, there's no way I'm starting my own business. And I took all that and I internalized it for sure and said, I've got to start looking at this differently. And um, she She was very supportive along the way, gently nudging me to start my own business. And then finally, probably about... Three years after, four years after we had that initial discussion, I finally went out and started my own business. And that story of how I got there is pretty incredible over those years. Again, long story short, I wasn't confident enough in my manual skills and my actual physical therapy delivering skills. And I went and did a year-long Maitland course under Joe Farrell, who still to this day is my biggest clinical mentor ever. And at the end of that year-long training, I seriously said to myself, without Any goading or anything without reading anything that I knew what I didn't know and so that if I was sitting across from you in an office I could say I can't help you you know what I hear what you're saying I can't help you and I can get you to the right place so I was finally confident and competent enough to believe that and that's when I started my own practice and That's where it all started. Uh, I had my own practice for about a year and a half, and then uh, Sturdy McKee, my current partner in San Francisco Sport and Spine Physical Therapy, came to me with an opportunity, and we took the business name and we put it together, and I've been a partner with him. Our 15-year anniversary was June of 2016, so we just had our 15-year anniversary, and that was really how I got started you know again the why let's take another step back and i was thinking recently because someone just asked me last week how did you get into physical therapy jerry you know we all have these stories of getting injured and being hurt and and i wasn't and when i reflected on how i chose physical therapy i chose physical therapy from another mentor from high school and when i realized and i dug down into what i liked about what he did it was the fact that he was doing what he loved And he was able to interact with people all day long. And that is truly the reason I got into physical therapy. I said, I remember saying to myself, well, I like people and I like biology and I want to be around people and interact with people every day. So I'm going into physical therapy because the people I've seen doing this are happy. And that is truly, and I think I just came to that realization, seriously, about six months ago um you know i didn't have the story of being injured so why i got into it was i wanted to be around people and i wanted to interact with people on a regular occasion so that's how that's how i got here the focus on the customer the focus on the people i I think that's again it started from the very very beginning and so that's where it started i was always people oriented you've heard that term a lot and people use that term a lot and I truly was and that's why I got into this and you know maybe sometimes I cared too much for my patients on the personal side I'm reflecting back for sure And I wasn't always good at building what we call a therapeutic alliance because I wanted to talk about myself a lot and I wanted to become friends with my patients. And I came to the realization recently that I wasn't good at building a professional relationship, which is something we'll build upon a lot in this podcast. Um, I was good at building a personal relationship and I had a difficult time separating those out until a few years ago. And again, it was just about self-awareness and reflection and things like that that really got me to focus on that. And um it was really helped me to now develop and work on this customer lifecycle and the patient experience and understanding myself better and where I'm coming from and where I came from as a clinician and how it limited my ability to actually deliver outcomes to people and to give people what they needed and what they wanted all at the same time. And that's a really important concept that we'll dig into in later podcasts too. Needs versus wants. We have to address both. If you think you're giving people just what they need, um, you're going to fail. Tremendously. So there's my why, always people driven. You know, there's the story in a nutshell about how I decided to be a physical therapist, how I got into my own business by the grace of God, and someone nudging and pushing and being very patient and pointing out my flaws in a way that I did not become defensive. And um just the self-reflection from there. So it's been an interesting run to this point. <laughs> so
0: jerry there's a couple things i I really took away from that story and uh you know thank you for sharing because it's you know for people like me who first got to know you on Twitter and then, you know, got to know you from attending, you know, two of your courses over the past two years, Is it's always good to know. I think I like to know where people came from as well. Um, and so for a lot of us, you know, listening out there, it's, you know, we, we know who people are. We, we interact them with maybe distance on, on uh, social media and getting the backstory really kind of um, solidifies a lot of, a lot of questions. But two things I really took away from that story was that um, it was really Understanding yourself helped to make you better, but also helped make your business and your customers, you know, better. Kind of, you kind of knew what you knowing, acknowledging that you knew what you didn't know, and knowing that you had to understand yourself better in order to figure out what your why was and how you could kind of fill those gaps. Um, can you talk a little more about that in terms of maybe the process you went through to to kind of
1: get to that point? Yeah, that's a great question. So, 49 years old, and the process, I feel like the process is just really ramping up. So, it's kind of scary to think that my life is, and then to be honest, to think that my life is half over and I'm just starting to figure out that, aha, this is what I need to do to be successful. And it's like, holy shit, I'm 49 years old. The process of how I got here, I, you know, you heard that story about, being with someone who's patient and understood who I was. And I think about the emotional intelligence. I love that book, by the way, emotional intelligence 2.0. I think, um, do just Google that term and read some articles on that and look at that. And it's really just an awareness of what drives you, what emotions drive you, how you respond to things. And again, and I'll make this, and I'll emphasize this a hundred million more times is it's not to point out your weaknesses. It is to just make you aware of what your drivers are, what your strengths are. And yet yeah, we can call them weaknesses, but you know, there's some other great books on how to exploit your weaknesses for good. So, I just want to be careful. We're not saying weaknesses or things that have to be worked upon or change. It's just an awareness. So that was step one. And then step two was building this network and getting access to people and content that I never had access to. And again, you have to be open to the change. So remember, you have to be open to this change. Content, people, mentors, everything won't matter if you're not open to the change. And just working forward from there, I mean, just recently read Activate Your Brain by um, Scott Hallford. that I uh, shared a lot of that stuff online, um, having a couple other books that I'm still into that even build on that more. And there, again, all this stuff ties back to helping people too, which is totally cool. So stuff like Activate Your Brain and Emotional Intelligence is going to make you a better physical therapist, is going to make you a person who can better help that person sitting across from you.
0: What did you notice in terms of, with opening your own private practice compared to the practices you worked in? What did you notice was a, a, one of the biggest changes in terms of the, the customer experience um, that you that you saw or that you sort of started to implement, whether consciously or unconsciously?
1: You know, it's interesting. Even though the this customer lifecycle really didn't come to life till about four years ago, five years ago. You know, so there's still 10 years of business there is when Sturdy and I started this, we had a shared vision and a shared mission, and it was all customer driven. And we both agreed before we partnered up that we had to share the vision and that we would never falter on the vision. We would never change the vision. And we did this over 15 years ago. We would never change the vision based on what a pay or a third party payer told us our customers can tell us. But the third-party payer was not. Even then, we didn't see them as our customer. So we had a vision and a mission to create happy patients. And what did that mean? That means you had to take care of people from start to finish. Now, that customer lifecycle came together slowly. And uh, over time, and we didn't know exactly what it meant taking care of people from start to finish meant. But we knew we had to do it. And so... The fact that our focus from day one was on that end user, I like to call, or that patient customer, I think that was the first huge step towards making sure that we had the customer lifecycle and the patient experience taken care of.
0: You know, so we hear a lot about either on social media or just other with other interactions, different philosophies when it comes to customer service. And you hear a lot about putting the customer first. Um, you know, Simon Sinek talks about, um, especially with groups such, such as Southwest, um, where they, they kind of went against the grain and they put the employees first. And then by putting the employees first, they found that giving them sort of autonomy, uh help them to better take care of the patient and so where where did you what kind of practice did you employ with your practice how did you what uh what steps did you take to kind of figure out what was the best for for a a pt practice
1: well you fortunately just made a great point that i want to address before i answer that question which is everything is more complex than it than it seems And we're great in physical therapy about breaking things down to one system or one thing and then forgetting to put it back together. We do it in research. We do it with the person across from us, and it hinders our ability to truly help people. Business is no different. Um, Our brains love to simplify. They love to look for patterns, and they love to use it as a default. Unfortunately, the world and the human body does not function like that, including business. So, you know, you think about Southwest— Who stepped out of this, you know, customer first and just looked at the big picture and said, well, geez, if we take care of our employees, they'll take care of the customers and this will all start to solve itself. And honestly, early on, yeah, our focus was really on the customer and not always on our culture and the people we hired. And so guess what? the customers weren't always taken care of and we found over time as we broke down who are we hiring to run this life cycle to take care of these people at every touch point are we hiring the right people? Have we empowered them enough? Have we get, have we addressed the right objectives so they know what to do? Have we given them the resources to do this? Then yes, as we do that, the customers become more happy over time. And, you know, my Yelp reviews, I, I, I look at my Yelp reviews as a, as the measure of that. We just started uh, tracking NPS scores, so it's hard to say with that, but Yelp reviews, the number of negative Yelp reviews have diminished. So I think... Um, the interactions that we now deal with and making sure we have the right customer in the door through our process has told us we're doing the right thing. So again, yeah, it's about stepping back and addressing all components. Like what kind of phone system do you have, right? Can people get through? So I'm yelling at people to answer the phone. Am I giving them a phone system that allows them to answer the damn phone? Um, By the way, I've had difficulty in the past and we had to work through that. So, So that's how we're approaching it.
0: What feedback have you gotten from, um, your employees, whether it be the front desk employees or your, your physical therapists in terms of, uh, how you've empowered them to either, uh, you know, put the customer first or do they feel, um, that you put them first and you have their back with their decision-making in terms of, uh, how they interact with, uh, the patients?
1: Yeah, that's another great question. So that's evolved over time because like I said, we didn't always do that. Um, I have, uh, mostly taking care of the front end. So what happens with that customer before or as they arrive to the clinic? So I'm heavily involved with my office coordinators, with my billing team and with my operations guy. We have a quarterly meeting to revisit the process, the whole process, their role in the process. And then what what we have come to see is if we step back after that, then so we review the process. This is how it's, you know, this is how it needs to be done. Are we doing it this way? It's pretty much a yes or no. Okay, great. You guys still understand your role in the process. Here's our NPS scores to show how great you guys have been doing. Here's some of the negative feedback we've received about the process. Then the next thing that occurs is I look at them and I say, okay, so what have you guys heard? what do we need to change? Do we need to change anything? What is occurring on the phone? What is occurring at that customer arrival, which are touch points of our customer patient experience. And I let them drive that. And I let them drive that because they've proven themselves to be the greatest value in that discussion. So for me to say, this is how it's going. This is what we need to change. And they're all sitting there going, Uh, that's weird because we're hearing something different would be a waste of everybody's time and I guarantee you my employees especially my front office staff and with that comes more responsibility. so I lean on them I say you have to review this I want your input we're not going to implement this until I get your feedback on it so you need to get it to me by Monday 5 o'clock Right. So they're empowered. With it comes responsibility. With it comes accountability. And as the company grows, they know they will grow with it, AKA whether it's a bonus or a raise. Um, but I got to tell you, we're back to Daniel Pink's drive again. You know, people want to be acknowledged, they want to be told a good job. It's not just about the money. So. <laughs>
0: And what can um, kind of taking it now to the to the patient customer? What kind of feedback have you gotten, whether it's just from a from a um, evaluation form, or even just one on one interactions other the other phone or in person with with patients and customers? Um, what kind of feedback have you gotten about your practice? And how the, the whole uh, experience is compared with, especially for patients who have been to
1: other practices, per se, or competitors? What kind of feedback have you gotten? So we use the NPS, the net promoter score for this. And I'm in charge of um, monitoring and pulling down everything from that. So the NPS is, it's a one to 10 scale based on um, what we call the ultimate question. And um, the question we ask is, would you refer a family or friend, would you refer a family member or friend to us? And your answer is one to 10, you know, so answer that question on this scale. And then there is a box at the bottom that says, um, "How did you come to this answer? What what it what, what can you contribute to this answer?" And it's kind of funny because I tell people all the time that um, that you know you want the negative stuff, but you also when you get a bunch of tins, you want feedback too. I tell people I get more frustrated with the tins who don't give us feedback because I want to know why people are giving us a tin. So some of those people I follow up by phone to ask them more and more people seem to be filling it in and it doesn't take a lot of words. And what we do is the tool we use, which is strive labs allows us to pull out the attributes, the words people use, and I've actually used it in marketing, but I can track those. And so we're looking at those and you know, yes, I'll tell you what comes up most awesome. PT knowledge, PT is excellent, PT listens, right? Those come up a lot. But what also comes up a lot is terms like great staff, great service, every, you know, everybody listen to me. I mean, what what else can you ask for? So that's the kind of stuff that's coming out with, this, um, with these MPS scores. What I've also found, as a side note, let's talk about business KPIs, business key performance indicators. So no-show cancel rate. So we put the um, customer lifecycle together. We start focusing on the incoming phone call. So that's the phone call that gets picked up and says, hi, you know, I'd like to be scheduled. The day we change that is the day our no-show cancel rate went down which is kind of counterintuitive to me because it had nothing to do with the PT patient interaction, which is something I always used to yell at my PTs about because I told the PTs they had 100% ownership on the no-show cancel rate until we changed the incoming phone call and made it more about the customer and the person on the phone and our no-show cancel rate went down. Go figure. I had no freaking idea. So taking care of the customer on the first phone call Ended up driving better business metrics. Our first arrival, so first visit arrival rate went up, and then our visits per case went down. So think about this most people listening realize I run an out in network clinic, which means, plain and simple, everybody is paying at least $1 more to see me than they would around the corner at an in network provider. So, your conventional wisdom, my conventional wisdom says something costs more, they're not gonna come. Well, that's only in the absence of value, people. So what I did not realize we were doing on the first call was we were taking care and making, and making sure our customers understood what the value they would receive for their money was. And once we started doing that, our arrival rate went up, no show cancel rate went up, and the visits per case went up. Jerry, I
0: think that's great stuff. You know, thank you so much for sharing. It's it's nice being on this side and having this opportunity to kind of talk to you about this kind of stuff. I think a lot of you guys out there who are, who are listening and active with Jerry on, on social media uh, probably have some uh, some similar questions. So it's nice to kind of uh, get a, get a good perspective on it. Um, but before we wrap up uh, for our inaugural episode, uh, being out in Vegas, did you encounter any uh, bourbon adventures? Or a bourbon drink that you'd uh, like to share?
1: Yeah, you know what? So, uh, hey, wait, how did we know this was going to happen? Uh, for the record, I did not bet on my Giants because they were playing the A's, the Oakland A's. And no matter how bad the A's are, they own my freaking Giants so um fortunately every day i went check the sport book to see what the line was and going i ain't gonna bet on that game and i would have lost every single game if i bet on my giants i kept saying i was gonna bet on the A's to guarantee that my giants would win but i didn't do that so yeah there was a great bar inside the mirage where i stayed called the still s-t-i-l-l and if you don't know what a still is in relation to bourbon look it up and i'll leave it at that um they had two great drinks there that I discovered, and they did a darn good job at it, and they had a great whiskey list, bourbon list, too, so whiskey, bourbon list, and the bartender was awesome. He made me a Kentucky mule, and for those of you familiar with a Moscow mule, uh, it is just the vodka substituted with bourbon, so it was bourbon a little uh, ginger beer and a little mint in it, and uh, I had him put a splash of club soda in there, and it was awesome. He also made me, I asked him for a recommendation. He said it was on the menu. I did not look at it, so I don't know the drink, but he also made me a version of a mint julep, but it had some blackberry juice in it, and that was spectacular. Because let me tell you, when I was in Vegas, it was about 109 degrees and the humidity kicked up. And so both times he dropped the drink, I said, This is a drink to sit by the pool on a 109 degree day. And we both smiled. I said, Because usually bourbon is in something you're drinking outside on a 109 degree day. So yeah, the Kentucky Mule, check that one out. And then Make yourself a mint julep and drop some blackberries and a little blackberry juice in there, and you'll have my two my two new favorite summer. Um bourbon drinks. Of course, along to go with the inaugural one I ever mentioned, which was the paper airplane. So I thank you all for listening and thank you greatly to my co-host, Mr. Andrew, whose idea this was. So he deserves a lot of credit for what's coming today and what's coming in the future. So I thank him greatly for taking an interest in this. And remember this is called healthcare disruption. This isn't physical therapy disruption. And I think what most of you are going to learn through these Podcast is that it's simple but not easy. So there are simple ways to disrupt and to innovate healthcare that doesn't take a lot of work. So thanks for listening.
0: All right, thanks, Jerry, so much. Thanks for listening to Healthcare Disruption. Powered by Updog Media. Join in the conversation. Tweet at UpDoc Media at Jerry underscore Durham. And at A Rothschild BT with thoughts. Head over to updogmedia.com for more content.